Dave Fanning on 2FM. Indeed, right. Now, I mentioned it a second ago and uh, I'm going to play something from them now because, uh, first of all, let's take a look because as a producer and as a mixer and as a writer, the Irishman Jack Knife Lee, he's worked with a list of musicians basically an awful lot longer than your army. Ready? Taylor Swift, Modest Mouse, Bad for Lashes, Biffy Clyro, Blur, Radiohead, Kasabian, Black Keys, Neil Diamond, Eminem, A Certain Ratio, R.E.M., U2, uh, The Cars, Robbie Williams, The Killers, Weezer, U2, One Direction, Snow Patrol, Green Day. Did I say U2 twice? That's because he's worked with them loads of times. That's just to name just 20. There's about 50 that he's worked with. And by the way, in his role as a remixer, he did it for the Beatles and Elvis Presley, for crying out loud. Anyway, now it's Telefiche, which is a band, well, it's actually a duo, himself and Cahill Coughlin. He of Fatima Mansions and an awful lot more fame. So before we actually meet this producer extraordinaire, Dubliner Gareth Jackknife Lee, in other words, let's hear a bit from Telefiche. This is the debut album that's released this month called Ahane. This is a kind of a little little bit in the middle of it, if you like. And those of you who remember a thing with Bunny Carr many years ago, because the album is full of this stuff, uh, Stop the Lights. Sixteen. Yeah. Ninety-eight. Sixty-nine. Sixty-three. I beg your pardon. The light. You got it wrong. Both. Telefish is a group that myself and Carl Cochran started in mid-pandemic. Um, backstory between myself and Carl. I was in a band in Dublin in the early eighties. And uh, my first concert, I was 14, was supporting Micro Disney. First, first gig I ever went to see was Susie and the Banshees and Micro Disney were supporting. So he was uh, pivotal in my musical awakening. Yeah. Cut to 2020. And then I had been working on a record for Peter Buck and Luke Haynes from the auteurs. They they sent me an album and I, and I thought, I'll just do kind of a elect, New York, early New York electro slash Lee Scratch Perry dub version of the whole album. And I sent it to Luke. He liked it, which is very unusual, supposedly. He said, I know a friend of yours, and I think he'd like to say hello. And it was Carl, because they'd worked together on the North Sea Scrolls. Carl uh, emailed me and um, he said, uh, I don't know what you did with Luke, but Luke doesn't like anything. And he likes this record. So something happened. And then I said, well, do you want to make a record? He said, sure, send me something. So I sent him a song and then it, it, we just started from there. So we just kept going through all, all of the pandemic, him in London and me here in, in uh, Topanga in California. Before we got to making music, we were talking about music that we were listening to, things like Suicide, Thomas Lear, these, these early electro records. And it started to broaden from there. And the RTE archive, is pretty extraordinary. Just through these conversations, we uh, we realised that we had a got a different perspective on the on the odd beginnings. Our, our teenage years were were very strange, probably for uh, everybody at the time in Ireland. Um, and we just started reflecting on what made us. So it was it was um, that was the beginning of it. The Sonics were from early electro stuff, and then the imagery became. We kind of got fixated on the St. Bridget's Cross and what it meant pre-Christian. Archbishop McQuaid at the opening of, of uh, Telefiche Aaron. And then it just went kind of wild from there. So it's a, it's a broad look at our awake, awakening as young people in Ireland with the um, kind of uh, at the cusp of modernity, I guess. You know, Ireland was trying to find its feet in, in a kind of, 
in a Catholic country, you have to find creative ways to be defined. And it does give you a, a form to work within. So there's a long history of it, it there. You know, I'm, I'm living in the States. I lived in England for a long time. I felt unusual and alien in England. And I certainly feel it here. And I'm just, I was just trying to figure out why. I mean, it, it wasn't, it's not a commentary in Ireland. It's more a commentary, yeah. a comment on where we were. And like, even the name is a kind of a joke. It's Telefiche. Yeah. For when we started, there was, I was certainly looking, you know, Carl was looking to London and New York music because it seemed so hip and modern. And where we were was, I mean, amazing music coming from Ireland as, as always, but it was like horse lips. And I kind of wanted television, the, the band television. So it was almost like through this post-punk new wave, the, another world was revealed yeah. to, to us. So we, so we, we we co-opted, similar to RTE co-opting the St. Bridget's Cross, a different symbol that we used for our purposes. We decided to take somebody else's name, co-opt it, and, and prism everything through it. Ahain being the debut album. I mean, like, just take a look in terms of that past that you talked about, Ireland either being weird or cut off or whatever. The track We Need, I mean, in that, for names for people who are young won't know, but you're ready. Brendan O'Reilly, Pat Kenny, Mike Murphy, Charles Hawhey, Albert Reynolds, Vincent Handley, Don Coburn, Brian Farrell, Anne Doyle, uh, Jimmy Greeley, Rodney Rice, George Hamilton. They're all in there in the video. Did you get permission for all of them? Uh, no, we did the Kanye West <laughs> thing where I just do it and ask permission later. Um, so um, I, I usually make the, the Telefish videos. I didn't make that one because that was a pretty, that, I mean, that was, a, an interesting thing with, with the way deep fake technology is will make us question what we're seeing. You know, deep fake where you don't know if somebody's actually speaking. Of course, it. Yeah, yeah. So we did our uh, little version of that, so those people would say the say the lyrics. Um, so that was that was an opening gambit for Telefish. You know, they did have a bit of mischief in it, and um, you know, the lyric that was the first song that uh, we did together. So, it, 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 yeah, we just had the aesthetic. We didn't have the full theme going on with that that one, but I'm, I'm very happy with it. It does have some of the post-punk stuff, the clubby yeah. kind of vibe. But so, also, yeah. like the Falun Gong dancer, you've got Ja Wobble from PIL and Invaders of the Heart, etc. You've said before something, but like, it, to me, Ja Wobble's a bass player. And to you, no, no, no. He's much more than a bass player. In what way? Um, in that... Again, like from the Irish perspective, um, at, at that period, late 1979, 1980, um, we didn't have much cultural cross-pollination. You know, I was looking at New York. You think it's, it's, it's this amazing time of, it was the beginnings of hip hop. It was the beginnings of post-punk. Um, electro music was starting. The Clash were in England and uh, Lee Scratch Perry was there. So there was, the slits were happening. It was, there was a lot of, of um, music meeting and, and all spawning new kids, you know. Mm. And Joe Wobble was, was this pivotal figure that connected reggae, punk, and then prog, you know, can, um, and these early electro records. So to me, he was, he was just such an exotic character. You know, he was dangerous, is dangerous. He's a really sweet man. And the music was, was, was uh, 
aside from being heavy, and it, you know, uh, um, was just good body music, you know, cerebral, and it did a lot of stuff. So it really awakened something in me that that I forgot for years that accessibility and and yeah. um, doesn't have to come in a primary color. It can be complex. So Jeff Webb has always been somebody that I look to for inspiration when I'm stuck. Okay, and- well, I'm just wondering about other inspirational things. I'm going to move on from Telefish before I go back there. And two things I want to mention here, which is uh, like the amount of people that you have done things with, the amount of albums you produced and the remixing stuff and 12-inch versions and all the rest. And I don't know if they still call them that anymore. Like everything from the Cars and R.E.M. and the Killers and Robbie Williams and Snow Patrol and Block Party and the Hives. And two I want to mention, though, are um, uh, One Direction on one level, and then the red LP for Taylor Swift. Tell me about working on that level. I mean, what happens with you when you do say Taylor Swift? Well, both actually, I think Harry Styles and Taylor were dating at the time. So usually my work comes from, I work with somebody and for the most part, they like it. Some people haven't liked it and probably will tell their friends, but most of the work when I get work like that, that goes laterally is, um, is somebody has a good experience and says you should work with, you should work with with with, with uh, this person. So uh, I I had worked with Snow Patrol. Ed Sheeran had started supporting Snow Patrol. Taylor worked with Ed Sheeran. This is, this is like uh, a, a whispers at a party. Um, yeah. Ed said you should go up to Jack Knight's place. Taylor came up. We wrote a song in a few hours. Um, and I, you know, it wasn't it wasn't my uh, area of expertise. I guess I know she was a Snow Patrol fan, but my my daughters at the time were quite young and were listening to Taylor Swift. And I had sent her an email. I I I'd kind of found out an email address I could send something to, and I was listening to her in the car anyway. And I thought, you know, this could be a whole lot better, and and not not in a uh, songwriting way, but just sonically. So she's very much into the national thing. So I sent her an email and saying, this is, this is, you know, I think you should do this. And anyway, that got nowhere, but it was through Ed Sheeran that she came up. And then I think the same thing happened because she came up, uh, One Direction came up. So I, in both those songs, I had started as acoustic, um, started as acoustic pieces and then kind of got bigger. Uh, it was the music of the time, you know, um, anthemic stuff, but, I love working with both of them. Harry is brilliant and Taylor is mm-hmm. brilliant. I mean, they, they just, they're confident, they know what they want. And, um, it, you know, I've done a lot of other pop sessions and they've been very different from these two. So yeah. I got, uh, I, you know, with Taylor, it was very quick and I got to work with um, people from the Arcade Fire on that song. And then the Harry Styles, when I went out on the road with them for a bit to record, which was really interesting to see life at, the peak of a pop band, what it what it was like, and um, I wouldn't want it for myself, but um, yeah. it was very interesting. I mean, you know, the the breadth of work. I think I was doing maybe Crystal Castles at the same time I was doing Neil Diamond. So th- there is it is broad, but I find most of the work is is pretty much the same. It's just um, facilitating what somebody needs, getting into their world. I feel like a lot of times. I'm a bit like that character Zelig uh, in Woody Allen film where yeah. I take on the personality of the person I'm working with. So I just immerse myself in their world and um, and who they are. 
So it doesn't feel that different for me, even though I look back at, at the, the, uh, the CV and think it's kind of ridiculous, the people I've worked with. But it's all, most of the music I listen to is pretty broad. So it, it, it's just organizing noise, really. It's not. Sure. OK, else. but organizing noise. But I mean, you say facilitating what someone needs. I would imagine, I don't mean to say that he might have not an awful lot of time, but I imagine Neil Diamond would probably know what he needs. But I would imagine also specifically like somebody like Harry Styles wouldn't necessarily know what he needs. What I'm trying to say is, do you tell certain newer people what they need? Uh, um, so and older people. Um, like the Neil Diamond thing, I was I did pitch an idea that he didn't go for, but I I tried to do Neil Diamond and the Bad Seeds was my original pitch, <laughs> which would have been great, but um, he didn't. He, bad Seeds went for it, but Neil didn't. The thing about Neil Diamond and Robbie Williams the, in a similar way is that they they walk the balance between this heavy music and then cheesiness, and it's just getting that balance right. I mean, you know, I I would try and get. Neil to do certain things and he would go but I'm cheesy yeah, that's my that's, I like that so there, so it wasn't I was looking at the broken cabaret aspect of of the bad seeds as opposed to some kind of heroin vibe it was it was supposed to be just like a, a burlesque um, thing so people come to me because I work in a, an orthodox way I guess and I might present uh, systems of work that might inspire them. Well, look, before so I get back times, to Telefish, uh, I just want to ask yeah. one other question too, which is where you are right now, which is where you live. And you're talking about the Ireland in terms of Telefish and what it was that never obviously leaves you. I mean, you live in Topanga Canyon at Santa Monica there between Malibu and Pacific Palisades and others. Just the names of those places are just so romantic to all of us here. And I'm sure would have been very romantic to you up to the age of whatever when you were back home too. But I'm talking Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, Van Morrison, Graham Parsons. That's the little place of less than 10,000 people where you are it's basically yeah. artists musicians and filmmakers it's a bohemian enclave is it a great place to be gareth yes so it, it is and you know the new generation of andrew barnhart fiona yeah. apple uh steve lacy solange are all still up here so it's always been that way i mean the reason why it became this uh, bohemian enclave was in the 20s during prohibition people used to come up here and have parties because the police it's not incorporate, which means there's no police force here. They have to come from elsewhere. And um, there's winding roads and the police don't come up because they think they get ambushed. So, you know, Charles Manson started here. Uh, a lot of the blacklisted actors during the 50s came here. Um, Will Gear, who was a grandfather of the Waltons, moved to Topanga. Yeah. And then he, the reason why Neil Young and Bob Dylan lived here was because uh, anybody that was an outlier was given refuge by Will Gear, who set up a Shakespearean the theatrical group in the woods. Woody Guthrie lived here in a cabin. And then just people started coming. So, you know, Dennis Wilson and all that. So every day I'm looking at and going, this is kind of amazing. It's getting a little bit she-she, I guess, because of the new wave of, of uh, hippie, rigorous mindfulness that's um, uh, in vogue at the moment. So. But it, there's a lot of musicians here and it is, I am close to the city so you can be spontaneous and go see things, but it, it's quiet. I can see the stars and it is very inspiring and you kind of get out of your, your um, you know, when, I'm, when I lived in London, I used to be quite intimidated and competitive with everybody else around me. I was in Old Street, there's so many studios, 
Andy Weatherall had a studio next to me and I just hear this noise and I, and I kept on thinking, I, I don't have the space to get into my own world. And uh, so Topanga mm. is that in LA. It's, it's, it's slightly separate, separated, not just geographically, but it also feels like it's from a different time. So it's yeah. really inspiring. And I don't okay, I'm not th- th- This world of Telefiche, finally, do you think, Gareth, could it be, like, could it take to the road for album A Hay and a Though? We're, we're hoping uh, late in this year to do a few shows. I don't know what kind of show, but it would be hopefully a bit more than a, than a gig. But that's, yeah. the, that's the plan. Well, look, um, it's certainly something I'd look forward to. I'd also look forward to you coming back to us and just going through the whole idea of production and who you do and what you do and what you have to do in the studio. Because I didn't even mention Eminem and Kraftwerk and Christina Aguilera and all the U2 stuff you've done, the New Order. Yeah. So much, you know, so much. I know it, it, it is uh, ridiculous. When you were doing R.E.M. with their last album, Accelerate, or sorry, Collapse Into Now as well. Like, did, did you know that, did you get the feeling this is it, we're going to call it a day? Did you know that? Well, I knew that the contract was up and I knew there had been conversation, but they never told me that it was over yeah. and they knew. So the last night we were in Nashville, um, Peter Buck, who, is, who comes across as a uh, really power, powerful man, you know, um, stoic, but he's very emotional. And he said, let's go outside for a second. And the four of us went out and just looked at the stars in silence. They knew that this was the last uh moment together as as rem i didn't know i think they i don't know if they deliberately didn't tell me because i'd be like um overwhelmed by it and i think this was too important rather than just you know breezing my way through it like i did um but i didn't know and and uh, they did so uh, it was it was kind of a beautiful thing and i was very fortunate to to help them make some i think arguably some of their best records with the last too, you know, and also the record from the Olympia, which was yeah, a real high Olympia. point. Yeah. yeah, it's a great uh, document of uh, a band on fire. And also, nobody broke up like REM broke up. You couldn't do it more perfectly, could you? No, I, you know that's the thing about them. They are so such gracious people. Like I see other other bands imploding and filled with resentment, and you know sometimes overtly, sometimes under the. Uh, you, you know they're just holding it in but rem like we went to i i i naively suggested why don't we all live together in grouse lodge in in ireland and record and they just said sure let's do it and every day was just like they're so respectful of each other they know what each brings yes yeah. it was it was a, a real lesson in uh, humility and uh, acceptance of each other and each other's foibles and all that. It, so it's it amazing. I, when I'm working with new bands, I, I try and uh, just point them in the direction of REM as a way of dealing with each other. And the, the internal band relationship dynamic is so complicated. It seems like fun when you're 19, you're starting out, and then, you know, 20, 30 years later, you are uh, you're still trying to keep it together and get to know this person. It's very difficult. It's you're you're tied financially, emotionally, relying on somebody else. It, you yeah. all go through different stages of of drug abuse and you know failure. It's real in, in a in a tin box traveling at speeds down the freeway. So it's a tough life, but they did it and in a in the most beautiful way. Uh, Gareth, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much, and the best of luck with Telefish. A hang in August though. <laughs> Thank you.
Take care, Dave. Dave Fanning on 2FM.